Welcome to Identity Church Sunday Morning Message, where sonship is revealed. Stay tuned at the end of this message to receive more information about resources available through Identity Church. Now grab your Bible, sit back, and enjoy a message from Identity Church that is already in progress. So glad to be here. If you've got Bibles, I want you to get them out and go to Isaiah chapter 1. Uh, I've got a word of, uh, I'm going to start out with a word I've actually never preached before. This is something specific to this house for this moment, for this time. I've actually never preached out of this section. It's Isaiah chapter 1 uh, and verse 26. And Identity Church, you guys are special to Tracy and I. You guys are our family to us, and we are so honored to any chance I have a chance to speak into this into this environment, into this culture is huge uh, because of the nature of the the heart and the attitude uh, that your pastor carries. Pastor Charlie is is um, is a man that I am honored to walk alongside of in ministry, in in every way, in brotherhood, and in in uh, just in sonship. Uh, and Isaiah chapter 1, verse 26, I want to read a, a scripture, and then I want to go back and talk, talk a little bit about some portions before this. But in verse 26, it says this. God says to Isaiah, this is the very first prophecy that God gives Isaiah. He says this phrase. He says, I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. I want to read this again. I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. I want you just kind of let that seed just kind of sit in the soil of your heart, and I'm going to tend it to, to it in just a second here, but would you pray with me? Father, I pray that tonight that there would be a spirit of wisdom and revelation that would come upon this house, Lord, and that every person that's watching in this video today would find themselves just aware of what you're saying in the days ahead, God, that we would know that moving forward, that our posture as leaders is to be servants, that our posture as ones with authority, is to walk in humility. Father, I pray that you would position and poise the body of Christ to step into the next, the next days with a fresh revelation of your grace and your goodness. And God, may we have an overfilling of compassion, like overfilling like we can't contain anymore. We have to give it away. So God, give us just an overfilling of compassion in Jesus' name. Amen. This scripture stood out to me when I was praying about what to give here at Identity. The scripture just jumped out to me, and I felt like it wasn't just the word for this house. It was a word for this nation. So this is more than just a local word. This is a corporate word for the body of Christ. When he says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 26, I will restore your judges at the first, there's an interesting there's an interesting reality that, that Israel had stepped into that was contrary to God's purpose. God never wanted Israel to have a king. Never did. It's not that God was against human government or against human authority. God was absolutely for this. 
Delegated authority to humanity was always the way that God wanted us to govern. He wanted us to be able to govern ourselves. But the idea of judges was that judges arose from within the people, from among the people. They lived among the people. They actually they, they worked among the people. They were one of the people that was appointed in to make the decision, to be the one with whom the buck stopped. They worked together with the prophetic voices in order to be able to somehow know what the word of the Lord was in that day. But Israel looked around and they were like, hey, you know, these other nations have something called a king. It was a person who did the exact same thing. They governed and they exercised authority, but they did it differently. The king became a cultural icon to the point that they became idolized and the minute that a person that was just meant to literally serve in leading in other words lead by serving became high and lifted up seated on a throne and became a cultural icon that was the point at which God said this is not the way this works here it's not the way this is supposed to work. It's not that God has ever been against human government. He's against us idolizing people. doesn't matter who they are. I don't care how anointed they are. And this is, I think, one of the things that the body of Christ has got to get past, and that is this. Idolizing human beings on the basis of their position or their anointing. We've been, we've been super bad at this especially in Western Christianity. I mean, the idea that, that we could um, elect an individual to an elected office and that person would become beyond the point of being corrected. Or the idea that we could actually bring a person into a position within ministry and that person could be beyond the point of being corrected. In other words, they're untouchable. They're high and lifted up. You understand that the king of Christianity showed us exactly what leadership looks like when he knelt before his own creation girds himself takes a basin takes a towel and takes some ordinary water and cleans up the church and peter looks at jesus just beside himself and says i'm not letting you do this you can't do this wait but don't just stop at my if you, if you got to do it don't just stop at my feet wash all of, and jesus is looking at him like you're missing the point of this I'm showing you how this works. You want to become great in the kingdom? Learn to be the servant of everybody. Never get to the point where you're so untouchable that you can't like kneel down before the beggar in order to touch a life. And never get to the point where you so idolize a person that you think that their anointing is God's approval upon everything in their life. And I think that's one of the things where idolatry has taken the body of Christ to a place of, of a danger point, is that we actually look at a person's anointing and we think, oh, their level of anointing signals God's approval on everything in their life, but God can use anybody he wants. And he has showed time and time again that he will use flawed people to minister the gospel so that you and I never get to a point of human idolatry, whether it's politically or spiritually. We are never to be people who idolize other people. We are to be people who literally walk in honor of one another, no matter who they are. And I think we take a look at the, the way the United States has gone, and God bless it. In the last four years, we've seen 
And I, let me just say a couple of, of, of statements here that I, I hope you catch what, what, what my heart is in this. Uh, I'm, I'm super conservative. I grew up in a conservative household, voted Republican my whole life. And I'm absolutely thrilled with what the last four years has done for the body of Christ. I'm not thrilled with what the last four years has done to the body of Christ. In other words, we have had, actually, believe it or not, it's almost as if God has said, okay, I'm going to show you guys how this works. I'm just going like, to hold a mirror up to you. If you get a friend in the White House that will actually treat the church good, won't bring you any persecution, won't bring you any hardship, will actually make life easy on you, I bet you guys will give him a pass on everything he says and does. You'll do that. And I bet you'll actually take it to the nth degree. I bet you'll actually idolize him to the point where you will not speak a word of correction anywhere in it because you're scared to death that somebody's going to judge you. And the, and the fact of the matter is, is I think what God is teaching us is this, that every single one of us, every single one of us is responsible for keeping idolatry away from our heart. And I don't care whether it's Republican or Democrat, we're called to pray for every person that's in the Oval Office. Every one of them. This one thing I've learned years ago, I was um, in Maine, and I'm walking through Colby College in uh, Waterville, Maine. Is that the name of the town? I'm walking by Colby College, and out the, the side door pops Joe Biden, of all things. I don't know if I've sent you this video or not. I'll, I'll remember to do it. Uh, Joe Biden just pops out the side door, and he's got a Secret Service guy with him. And I turn around and literally standing from here to this podium is Joe Biden. And I stop and go, Mr. Biden? And he goes, my car is supposed to be here. Our, our SUV is supposed to be here. And the security guy's like, where's the SUV? He had just come from speaking, giving a speech at the college and was jumping in an SUV to head to the airport. But they were at the wrong entrance. So he and I had about two minutes to have a banter back and forth, and it was really simple of who'd you, tip, who'd you vote for in the last election, and I told him. Anyway, um, he wasn't happy about that, but we had a quick laugh, and it was super simple, and it was an easy conversation. Next thing I know, uh, uh, th- here comes the SUV. I snap a video of him as he's like walking away, and, 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 and the funniest thing is, is I didn't so much care about this guy. I thought, he's a vice president, it's a token president, it's a it's a token job doesn't really mean anything not only that but he's on the way out trump's in office and this guy's career is over and i felt the holy spirit say to me i want you to pray for joe biden and i thought why you know interesting when the holy spirit tells you to pray for somebody and you say why and what I, what I began to realize, and actually in this last election, what I realized is God was beginning to work on my heart. Now, I'm not going to mention anything about whether or not I think there was any fraud or anything like that in the election. I don't want to mess around with that stuff. What I'm saying is this. Every one of us is called. Every one of us is called to stay kingdom-minded, kingdom-focused in no matter what the stakes are, what's going on in this world. We are to stay kingdom-minded and kingdom-focused. 
focused. I don't care who's in the Oval Office and who's in the White House. Wait, 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 wait. I heard words that said that Donald Trump was going to win the presidency. I absolutely heard words that said so. What was the problem? Were these false prophets? No, I don't believe so. A lot of these guys were actually dear friends of mine. A lot of a lot of these guys that said, and I never felt led to give any word on this subject, but a lot of guys that, that said this were dear friends of mine. And this is what came out i think when people got up and they felt like they heard the word of the lord the heart of god that uh that that this guy's a friend of the church and 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 we need to push him forward and this is what they said he's gonna win four more years we've heard the word of the lord well maybe they heard the heart of god for the intention of what he wanted you said well couldn't god force the issue well he could but here's the thing about the word of god God's words create worlds, but he will not use or will say misuse the power of his word to break your will. He will ultimately invite you by the power of his word to come into alignment with his heart and his will so that you and I can actually walk forward and in alignment establish what he has decreed and spoken. There's a difference between a prophetic promise and a prophetic decree. A prophetic promise doesn't need a vote. Jesus is coming back. Nobody gets a vote on that. Everybody's just going to happen, right? That's just an absolute reality. When God issues a prophetic promise, nobody gets a vote on it. It's an absolute word of fact. When God issues a prophetic decree, it's like this. It's the heart of a king through a prophet or through a messenger expressing the will, the desire, or the heart of the king, but it requires human agreement to establish the will of the king's heart in the land. And there's a lot in Isaiah, as we're going to read tonight, there's a lot of times where God actually releases his heart over people and says, you got choices here in the matter. You choose this, this is going to happen. You choose that, that's going to happen. And if we'd sit back and go, wait, 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 just just tell us what's going to happen. Don't tell us we have any responsibility in the matter. Just tell us what's going to happen. And that way we can just go ahead and do life and go along for the ride. And I think a lot of, I would say, Facebook prophets these days had a tendency to get a sense of the king's heart and released it as a prophetic promise when it's actually a degree that invites responsibility. You say, what's the difference? In the Old Testament, the, the kings were chosen by God who spoke through a prophet who declared into the land, this is God's choice. They poured the oil, they declared the word, boom, it's God's choice. It's a done deal. Everybody else, they don't get a vote in the matter. The king is going to be in charge. That's the way it worked. In this land, prophets don't pick kings. We have a republic democracy. And so the democratic republic, whatever you want to call it. And so every one of us gets a vote. And so when somebody got up in front of a crowd and said, hey, Donald Trump's going to be president for the next four years. I got a word from the Lord that this is going to happen. It implied to people who were given a right that they didn't have a responsibility. And I think a lot of people just kind of went, oh, it means no matter what I do, this is going to happen. So people didn't differentiate between the heart of the king toward a matter versus the absolute will of God that is absolutely going to take place. In a republic democracy here, God would actually have to reach down, grab a hold of the hearts of half of the country and say, you know what, you're not going to vote that way, you're going to vote the other way. 
And I don't find in the scripture where God goes down and controls our will. What he does is he uses his word that creates worlds to invite us to align by choice our will with his heart. And if we don't do it and take action upon that alignment, his will isn't done. That's why Jesus told us to pray, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. The kingdom come is the promise of God. His will done is our alignment with that promise so that through us we become a living conduit for that kingdom to actually manifest in the earth. But it requires you and I to actually take and, and actually align our hearts with his, to hear the desires, to catch the desires on the king's heart and align our heart with his. And I would say in the last four years, I've watched God use the most unlikely person to expose the church's bent toward idolizing a man. And I think it's almost as if God looked and said, if you guys can lay down your idolatry, you can have what you're asking for. But if you can't, you're going to find yourself back to square one all over again. Whether it's preachers or politicians, we got to come to the end of our idolatry. We got to come to the end of our idolizing of a human being. And then God says to Isaiah, He says, I'm going to restore to you, thanks, Charlie. I'm going to restore to you judges as I did at the first. In other words, human government continues. But you got to see that we are meant to lead by serving. We're meant to lead by actually washing the feet of another. We're meant to lead by going low. And sometimes when we miss the point of why we even do this thing as church, God comes to us and gives us a gigantic reset. In Isaiah chapter 1, I want you to go with me all the way back to verse 10. And I want to give you a three parts of this message that are, are is probably one of the weirdest messages I think any prophet could ever give. Isaiah, by the way, is, is called a miniature Bible because it contains the exact same amount of chapters as there are books in the Bible. 66 chapters in Isaiah, 66 books in the Bible. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah have to do largely with judgment. Isaiah mirrors the Bible so completely that actually the first 39 books in the Bible, the Old Testament, have to do with a lot of judgment. But the last 27 chapters of Isaiah change their tone to where it's speaking through a new covenant perspective in a past tense. For example, it's talking about things from our perspective. Isaiah 53 is a great example. He was, speaking of Christ, he was, past tense, wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we were healed. The, the tense of that doesn't make any sense in Isaiah's day. If you stop and think about it, Isaiah wouldn't have had any reason to speak of the future in the past tense unless he was getting a word from God that was re to be released over a new covenant audience so that we would understand the prophetic nature of what was being dropped in this moment. 
And the last 27 chapters of Isaiah are so filled with hope and a freshness of revelation of the Messiah that actually Isaiah's key word is salvation, which 27 books of the New Testament are filled with the hope of the new covenant and the salvation of Christ. Matter of fact, if you look at the the Hebrew word for salvation appears in all of the prophets combined outside of Isaiah appears only seven times. But in Isaiah's book, it appears 26 times. It is a major theme. It's a big deal that salvation is the core of this. But when Isaiah goes to start his prophetic ministry, he doesn't start gently. He's not going to be diplomatic about this. Yeah, right. As a matter of fact, you know, most prophets start out by giving you like a prophet comes to your church for the first time. They'll say, well, this is how God called me. And an angel came and appeared to me or whatever. It's like, and you're like, oh, yeah, this person's truly a prophet. They kind of like give their credentials up front. God's not going to let Isaiah give his credentials until the sixth chapter. But Isaiah's very first prophecy, and I don't want to go into the whole thing because we'll be here all night. I'm going to start in verse 10. This is Isaiah. Uh, the son of a guy named Amos, by the way. Amos' uh, brother was a king, so Isaiah is royalty from the get-go. He already knows what it's like to speak with authority, and he's going to throw his reputation under the bus from the start. And this is what he says to Jerusalem. Verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Okay, let's stop just right there. You already get Isaiah is not winning a popularity contest here. He, <laughs> there is nothing about Isaiah that has any reputation left once he gets done with his first prophetic word. Stop and think about it. You're called to be a prophet, and God says, you know, um, okay, here's your first word to the people. <laughs> You're going to make them all mad. They're going to hate you just, just right off the bat. Here's the thing. When the word of God hits your life, you got to get to the point where you're completely unconcerned about your reputation. It's not that you work to offend people. It's not that you try to offend people. When you're following the will of God, you don't have to try to offend people. You just automatically will. It's just, it just a gift. You just will. Just, it, it, it's, it's, part, it's part of the grace upon your life. And Isaiah releases this word, and one of the first things he does is he takes and applies the stigma, the cursed stigma of the, of the destroyed people of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he says, it's almost like God says to him, it, it is like God says to him, he says, see the people of, uh, of Israel, call them Sodom and Gomorrah. Not the way to start a prophetic ministry and be popular. He's not going to get invited to a lot of conferences with this word. I'm just saying. His offering is gone. All right. And, this, and, and then here's the thing. And as I'm setting up this next part, keep in mind, God had instituted temple worship around a certain set of protocols. These guys didn't make this stuff up. You go back to Genesis 19 on, and you see through, through, the, through the story of God's in, in introduction 
of the law and temple worship. God is giving these people things to do in order to deal with the sin issue in their life. And so they started applying these things, but rather than deal with the sin issues so they can have a relationship with God, they didn't care about a relationship with God, they just found out how to get rid of the sin on a regular basis, and it was through sacrifice. So the idea was this, God doesn't care how much we sin, he's given a sacrifice for that, that fixes the problem. Therefore, we can sin as much as we want as long as we can afford to sacrifice. So this is the setup for what Isaiah is about to release. Verse 11, what are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs or goats. And when you come to appear before me, who is requiring of you this trampling of my courts? So I just want you to see right here, God's not impressed with large crowds. Like, who's demanding that you bring a crowd into my house? It's amazing. Take a look in verse 13. Bring your worthless offerings to me no longer. <laughs> wow. Incense is an abomination to me. And incense, by the way, is the prayers of the saints. New moons, Sabbaths, calling of assemblies. And look at the end of verse 13. I can't endure iniquity and the solemn assembly. <coughs> Heavy word. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. And verse 14, look at this line. They've become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. Now think about this. This is a very unusual and rare passage because you can't find too many places in the Bible where God says that he's weak. You can't find too many places in the Bible where he says, I'm, 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 just, I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm, except when it comes to religion. If anything triggered Jesus, it was religion. And that wasn't a new concept. That was something that went all the way back to Isaiah's day. 700 years before Christ, God is saying to Isaiah, you guys have missed the entire point. You're using all of the elements of worship to create a loophole system by which you and I still don't have relationship. This has become ritualistic to you, and somehow it's feeding your ego, and actually you're actually able to go out and fulfill the lusts of your flesh and come into the sanctuary and, and, and do the things that I told you to do and feel fine about it, but that was never the point. The point of all of this was so you and I would have a heart connection, and you would know there's no distance and separation between us. But the problem with sin, sin is just something just simply means it, it, there's, a, there's a distance, there's a separation, there's a division, and these people didn't care so much about that they were actually willing to use religious practice to maintain the division Come on. and god says essentially guys the way you do church i'm tired of it you understand this is not a, a thing that god normally says we don't hear god say i'm tired of or i'm burdened very often except when he finally looked at his people after all these years of doing church and says, I'm tired of the way you guys do church. And I'm looking at America coming into 2021, and I feel like what the Lord has said, and again, I don't think he's done this coronavirus thing to us. God doesn't do that, but he's not going to waste it either. But I think what the Lord has been saying to the body of Christ is, I'm tired of the way you've been doing church. 
You guys think you can have worship and intimacy with, uh, with, with with the music but not have intimacy with me. You think you can have a, a time of like coming together and it feeds your ego and makes you feel good on the inside like you've accomplished something but go out and have no sense of, of surrendered obedience to my voice at all. No connection with my heart. Now I'm not necessarily saying in this house. I think Identity Church is one of the reasons I love to minister here is that you have a pastor that encourages that intimacy and that heart connection and he's one of you. He's touchable and approachable and he's willing to get down before you and serve. That's works that's the kind of people that i run with and that i walk with and that i talk with that's the kind of people that i can work with and and so i'm not i'm not saying this so much to this house i'm saying god has set you up in this day to be a catalyst for reformation for a system of western christianity that exalts both politicians and preachers to the point where idolatry has become a virtue for the body of christ and i think god's done with it Maybe the strongest word I've ever preached, Charlie. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I think God's done with it. And when it comes down to it, I think God's looking at the Western church and saying, guys, tired of the way you're doing it. Just been tired of the way you're doing it. You guys have created a system here, but the intimacy between our hearts has never been farther apart. You got great sound systems. You got incredible quality of, of, of production and all this stuff. But when it all comes down to it, our hearts have never been farther apart. Why? Because it's, because it's so easy. It's so easy for you to exalt a human being in a place where I alone should occupy. In a place of affection where I alone should occupy. It's become so easy for you to do it. Now, I'm not saying that we should take and 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 you know uh, uh, humiliate uh, uh, politicians, pastors, and preachers. I'm saying if we in places of leadership will walk in humility, we'll never have to face humiliation. But I would say this: whether it's through humiliation or or humility uh, of our own, uh, humility is the only way forward. It's the only way to move forward in the days ahead. I'm saying not just for leaders, but for the entire body of Christ to walk in humility in the days ahead. It's the only way to move forward is humility. He says here, verse 15, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I'll hide my eyes from you. Even though you multiply prayers, I won't listen. Why? Because your hands are covered in blood. This is violence. In a sense, this is a, these are a, a violent people, a bloodthirsty people. Uh, now uh, I'm going to get to the second part verse 16 and 17 take a look at this he says wash yourselves make yourselves clean wash yourselves okay so clean yourself up but here's the funny part about this you say funny I don't think there's anything funny listen to this God has just taken away all of the things he told them to do that would actually result in their purity and cleanness sacrifice, incense, offerings, all of the things that God gave them to do so that they could walk in purity before the Lord. Now he's just said, all that stuff that I told you to do, it's worthless. Wash yourselves. Yeah, but how would be my question. And this is where he brings them back to. 
Remove the evil deeds from, your, from my sight. Cease to do evil, learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless or the oppressor. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God is defend orphans and widows, right? To care for the orphans and widows and their affliction. So there is a sense where the absolute base level of an expression of faith is just simply loving the least of these. Jesus reiterates this message when he says phrases like this, when he talks about the separation of the sheep and the goat nations. And one of the things he says to these guys is, I was in prison and you didn't come visit me. I was sick and you didn't come and see me. And, and they're like, wait, wait, wait. When, when did we not do this or when did we do this? It says, when you do this to the least of these, you do this to me. Here's the weird part about that entire story is that Jesus has never been sick and he has never done anything necessarily that would be, uh, uh, it would, would require imprisonment, let's say, on a, on a moral level. He's never broken a moral law and he's never had a disease. Why in the world is he identifying with prisoners and sick people? Because Jesus has a special place in his heart for the poor. He has a special place in his heart for those who have actually lost their, their identity and become so broken on the wheels of living that they're sitting in a jail cell and Jesus goes, that's me. You minister to them, you're ministering to me. See that sick person? I know. I've never been sick. I've never been in a hospital, but that's me. And you know, the interesting thing about it is, is he can say that because of what he's about to take on himself. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. What does he do? He takes all of our sin on himself, all of our guilt on himself, all of the reasons why we would ever be in prison, he takes on himself. All of our sickness, he takes on himself. And he gives us his healing and his righteousness. His wholeness and his holiness together are flooded into us. And he takes all of, all of the things that are unwhole and unholy from us onto himself. So he can fully identify with us at our lowest moment. That's why he can say, you do this to the least of these, you've done it to me. And so when he says here, get back to the basics, he's saying, care for the people who are the lowest, the most malign, the absolute least of these. Listen, when it comes down to it, if the body of Christ wants to restore credibility in the days ahead, we've got to somehow get back to the place where we're caring for the absolute least of these. Tracy and I were recently invited to go in and um, uh, pass out food and toys uh, and various things at a at a hotel in Austin. It's actually now been vacated and is being torn down. It was one of the worst environments I've seen in this, uh, not Austin, uh, of Orlando. One of the worst environments I've ever seen in the city. And in the middle of of the timer we're out there, here a fight happens between people and the lady who's running the hotel says, they're about to start shooting. You guys got to get out of here now. I'm like, we're 15 minutes from my house and you can't imagine the contrast from my neighborhood and this environment. Yet there's 15 minutes of space that separates me and that. And I was absolutely floored by standing there and just watching the chaos going around me where people begin to fight and there's like a gang fight happening and I'm just I'm floored by this whole thing I'm sitting there watching this going what is going on here 
And I realized to step into the place where you're loving the least, you're so close to the heart of the Father. I felt like in that moment, I just didn't want to leave. I'm like, I could give my life for this stuff. I give my life for this moment. I'll retreat to the comforts of my world. But I feel like there's something where I'm so close to the heart of the Father when I'm sitting around and standing around with people who have completely lost their way, who have no idea who they are anymore, who've lost hope. Now, does this actually make you clean? No, it doesn't. You can work all day long taking care of the poor you can take care of the orphans you take care of the widows it doesn't do anything to save you there's no salvation in that it's just works that's just works and it's good works and you and i were created for good works but that's not the point here the point of salvation is not just our good works it's the work of christ and so now we come down to verse 18 and this is the third part come now and let us reason together says the lord now when god says let's reason together you assume that he's going to say something reasonable he says come now let us reason together though your sins are as scarlet they'll be white as snow though they're red like crimson they'll be like wool now stop and think about this with me for a second in an ancient culture this makes no sense at all because to get something scarlet or crimson, you had to, first off, you had to be wealthy enough to afford the cuttlefish that would actually create the dye that would actually dye something that color. And once you got something actually red, like crimson or scarlet, if you decided, I don't want that to be red anymore, I'd like it to be white, you have no options. There's no bleach. There is nothing that is going to turn that red garment back to white again. You might get it lighter red, maybe a shade of pink, but you're never going to get it white. So in an ancient culture, for God to come and say, see that garment that's, uh, that's red? It's going to be white. It's a very unreasonable thing for God to say. See, the reasoning of God is to put an impossibility before you. It's the humor of God to invite reason into a battle it cannot win. So God says here, I want you to see this three-part message here. Everything that you guys are doing in church to try to somehow boost your ego and make yourselves feel important and worthy and save yourselves, it doesn't work. I don't like the way you do church. That's part one. Part two, why don't you try to save yourself? Wash yourself. Do as many good works as you can. It's a good place to start, but is it going to actually work? No, it's not. Part three, let me tell you something reasonable. Your sins are scarlet. They're going to be white. That's an impossibility. So God takes away all of their religious trappings, and now he gives them an impossible task. Try to make yourself clean. And then he gives them an impossible promise. The sins that are un impossible to deal with, unimaginably dark actually they're going to be dealt with and now in isaiah's first prophecy israel is left with a very head-scratching situation we've lost all of our religious tools we have no means of working enough to make ourselves pure but you tell us that the impossible actually is going to happen See, the problem is the whole thing is reversed. In the New Covenant, it begins with our sins are like scarlet. 
with their whitest snow. And from that place of purity, we actually go out and do good works. Not to achieve something, but because of the grace that's been given to us. And then when we come together to worship, our worship is purely from a place of adoration and love for this one who has already saved us. We're not worshiping to try to achieve anything. We're worshiping because of what has been graced upon us and given to us. So Isaiah gives us a pattern that the new covenant will actually reverse. It begins with him taking our our sins and dealing with them. Verse 19, and he says this, and here we we have the the crossroads moment. You consent and obey, you eat the best of the land. You refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. The mouth of the Lord is spoken. And the word of the Lord goes on. And here's the thing I I believe we're coming back to in, in 2021. The simplicity of the starting line. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. How does that even happen? Because of the grace of Christ. I, I, I have no reason to ever stand up and preach a single message in my entire life except for the grace of Christ alone. That's it. That's it. None of us have anything that we can do for God apart from just resting in our reconciled union with the Father because of what Christ has done. And from that posture, we can absolutely be at perfect peace. And now, the overflow of love means that pouring out good works from our lives isn't a drudgery. It's a pleasure. We live life in an overflow of grace when we see what's been poured into us then what gets poured out of us just becomes natural. And then, from that point, when we come together as the body of Christ, it's not about our rituals. It's not about uh, the, the songs or even, even the things we do or the, the flags or the shofars or any of the stuff that we do. All of that's beautiful, but it comes out of a heart of expression, just a heart of expression that says, God, this is just, I just want to give you this in this moment. This is my life. This is my love poured out for you not to achieve anything but because of what you've done for me it's all gratitude it's all thanksgiving and from that posture from that posture of thanksgiving we can love honor serve care for one another but never again put a human being in a place of idolatry never again lifting up a man a human being to the point where god says no 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 more kings you're kings and priests unto me but you're all kings you understand? It doesn't make you special. It just means that's who you are. You're not a king to the exclusion of everybody else around you. You're not honored above everybody else around you. You're actually, you're actually all kings and priests. It's like, the, it's like the father that says to his kids, you're all my favorite. And you're like, ah, oh, I want to be more special than them. It's not the way this works anymore. So I think in the days ahead, if the body of Christ can learn anything, especially from the last four years, it's, it's how when, when we get what we want, rather than just praising God and saying, thank you, Lord, we tend to idolize people. When we look at church, we so oftentimes attend 
for the purpose of getting something from God. I need a word. I need an answer. I need a this. I need a that. Rather than resting in the reality that the answer lives in you, the word abides in you, and that our gatherings together are not so much mandated by God so that we'll be acceptable to him, but are mandated by God because we actually need each other. And that our love for one another becomes itself a living invitation to a very lonely world that you can be part of a family that lives its life on a foundation of gratitude. And it's called the kingdom of God. And you can become a part of it. You don't have to work your way into it. You belong. You just do. I just think that's, in this next year, it's like God's bringing the entire body of Christ back to a place of, of, of humility centered around the grace of the Father. And the fact that God wants us all to walk as kings and priests in this world. Never, never again lifting up and idolizing any human being to the point where, uh, where our focused affection and attention is so diverted from Christ that we don't mind dividing from fellow brothers and sisters that he died for. One last thing. Jesus prayed in John 17. He said, Father, the glory that you've given me, I give to them that they may be one, just like we are one. I and you, you and me, and I and them. Listen to this, perfected in unity, that the world may know that you sent me and loved them just like you loved me. Jesus prayed that we would be united. That's not a prophetic promise. It's a decree where you hear the heart of the king, and he's been inviting for the last 2,000 years the kingdom to come into alignment with his heart. And right now in the body of Christ, we got people calling for civil war. And I'm saying, hey, can we be the generation that gives Jesus what he prayed for rather than setting our hearts to destroying people that Christ died for? There's something, there's something of us that I think requires a humility to become a living invitation to people to step into that alignment with the heart of God we realize that the va- actually the very core value of every single human being, whether they're a believer or unbeliever, no matter what faith or religion or whatever they have, as I sit down and I talk to people, one of the first things I love to sit down and visit with is tell me your story. Once I hear their story, I say, if you could say your, very, your core values of your life, what are they? So lo- love aside, everybody says, oh, I'm looking for love. Uh, love aside, family, those things, those are super core values, but you personally, not giving any regard to anybody else, what are your core values? And it always boils down to these two things. Freedom and life. Freedom and life. People don't want to be controlled and they want to live abundantly. And I say, hey, look, Jesus came to set us free and he came to give us life more abundantly. And the message of Christ alone will be that uniting message that brings people from a left wing, a right wing, whatever wings they happen to be sitting on, will bring them back to that place of saying, wait, if we fix our eyes on this one, the author and the finisher of our faith, he will take us where our heart longs to go, no matter where life and our story has taken us up to this point. Ultimately, the message of Christ becomes that uniting factor that draws us out of ourselves and into who he's called us to be and created us to be. 
And uh, yeah, pray with me. Father, I thank you for this moment today. God, that in this moment there will be a freshness of revelation of the kingdom wrapped up in this message of the death, the burial, the resurrection. God, as we've just come off of celebrating the incarnation, we step into this new year recognizing that you stepped into our story in the most humble way possible. Father, we step into the future walking every step in humility. God, knowing that you've called us to be one. So Lord, we pray, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. May it be on earth as it is in heaven. Father, if there's any that are watching today that are suffering physically in their body right now, I just speak and release a healing wave through this this camera right now, God, to every person that's watching. Lord, I pray that there would just be a release of just the oil of heaven's shalom, the wholeness of heaven to flow over them, God that diabetes would go, that cancer would go, that every sickness, disease, headache, migraine, sore throat, COVID would come to nothing right now. God, that it would be it would be done away with, stripped away so that the wholeness of divine health would rest upon your people right now. God, I pray that right now, like, like right now that there's, I just feel like those of you who need a touch in your body, that right now there's, a, there's like a wave coming through the screen. Just receive it by faith and just let the oil roll over your life. Let it baptize you today, as Pastor Charlie says often, in that innocence of the grace of God. Let it baptize you in the healing of a heaven's authority. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for letting me come into your house today. Thank you for tuning in to today's message from Identity Church. To know more about us, go to IdentityChurch.net, where you'll find resources such as a calendar, media, and upcoming events. You may also download an app for your mobile device from the Apple App Store or Google Play. Then from your mobile device, you can hear our messages, read from the Bible, take notes, connect with us on the social media, and even pay your tithe. Again, thank you for tuning in to today's message from Identity Church.